Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And I have an awesome guest on this morning. Good morning, Carrie Lynn Carter. I have my buddy Mike Phillips on the show and we are about to hear this incredible dude's story. So welcome to the show, Mr. Mike Phillips. Hello, everyone. Hey, Ken, how are you this morning? Thank you so much for coming in today from Alaska. Is that right? Yeah, man, you want to put me everywhere in the U.S. except for New Jersey, uh, New Jersey. My bad. I'm in New Colorado Springs, Colorado. I'm I'm still sharing. I'm not as fast as you, man. I'm trying to share this, share my story. (laughs) You said New Colorado Springs. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm, dude. I'm breaking through walls. I'm making I'm making it. history here this morning, man. We got Bob Donnell, Jordan Michael Thomas, <laughs> Carrie Lynn Carter. We got a lot of rock stars on here to hear your story, dude. So that's awesome, man. Thank you guys for watching. I see, yeah, Jordan. Good to see you. I can I'm just starting to see people. I'm trying to get this shared, share now, share. I didn't get to share it on Twitter yet, man. It's Someone all needs good. to share it go on Twitter. Later, go back Absolutely. later. Absolutely. So, so, and by the way, in, in StreamYard up at the, I don't know if you know, there's a tab up there that says live comments. Do you see that? Um, you can see every comment coming in in StreamYard. Oh, nice. Yeah. No, I did not know that. I was going to stream it secretly over here on the Facebook, but uh, you just taught me something yeah. this morning too. Yeah. Hey, so Rock look, man, I started this show a couple years ago now. And mm-hmm. um, I started it to, to honestly, I was kind of in a, I was, I personally was in a um, stuck position in, in some ways. And I thought, you know what, the best way to get unstuck is to start giving back to the world. And so I did. And I've had some amazing guests on the show and, and, and I can't wait to hear your story. You know, people get stuck in life, man, and especially Absolutely. right now, right? hundred percent. I know I'm with you. I, and I know exactly how you feel. I mean, one of my philosophies has always been, I, cause I started my first podcast and I guess we'll get to that, but yeah, you know, 10, yeah. 12 years ago now, but, um, the, you're, you're right. People end up getting stuck where they're at and there's no, there is nothing like taking action to change your attitude. You know, any That's kind right. of action doesn't matter. Right. Right. So. Well, let's start with telling everybody where you were born and raised. And and by the way, I'm going to go full screen with you every now and then, now and again. And I'm still here. It'll look like I disappeared, but I'm still no, here. So I, tell I'm everybody where you're born and raised. Yeah, absolutely. So I was uh, born in the '70s in uh, in Southern California. Ken always wants to put me in California, and so I think that's maybe why. Uh, it's but, true. Yeah. So uh, in in Southern California and raised there for the first uh, six, seven years of my my life. My dad was a Orange County Sheriff's deputy in the 70s. So rather than diving deep into that, for people that are familiar with it, it was a tough time uh, as well. And to be in uh, in in that particular area in that county doing law enforcement was was a tough gig. And then, uh, so my my parents opted to move to Colorado. I was raised uh, much of my, you know, elementary, middle school life in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. They wanted to get out of that that big city uh, environment. And, and again, LA County, they weren't like deep in the city. We were on the outskirts. And I don't really remember it that much because I was so small, but moved to, moved to, uh, 
Steamboat Springs where, where I was raised and went to school. And then unfortunately my parents split. And so uh, my mom moved to Colorado Springs. And so hence I've been to this point. Hey, good morning, Brandon. It's good to see you, man. And um, top shelf, love, love Orange County. Um, black so, flag, I don't know what that is. Black I, <laughs> I, I don't know offhand. Uh, but it, it, I mean, it's been 35 years since I've been been there. So yeah. uh, it, anyway, raised in, in Steamboat Springs, mostly started skiing when I was like uh, seven. Um, I, you know, one of the unique things about growing up in Steamboat in the 80s was instead of, you know, like after school care and some of the things that they offer now, they did an after school ski school. And so mm -hmm. one of my first ski instructors was Billy Kidd, who was an Olympic skier. Wow. And and yeah, my my sister and I, we used to go to the the base of the mountain and we would do after school, you know, you were there from whatever time it was. I, I had no concept of time then, but you you started skiing. So I got involved in sports really early and was just, you know, uh, that, that was a really fun time. And it, with exception, by the time I think I was about eight or nine, my, my parents split. And so then my That's mom cool. moved us to the Springs. Let, let me, let me, um, oh, here, Top Shelf says that, that it was a hardcore punk band. The most important. important. Okay. Right on, dude. So, so. I Did clearly you, am hardcore punk. That was why the reference probably. You look like one. I, you know. And, and I mean, you live in Colorado, weed, legal, you know. I, you know, yeah. <laughs> among other things right you now. Look like, you look like a dealer, dude. I'm just going to put it out there. Uh, auto dealer. It's <laughs> <laughs> right. a whole different kind. So, so, no, I'm playing. So, um. You know, you, your dad, you said he was a deputy sheriff in mm -hmm. Orange County, yep. moved to Colorado. Did he continue in law enforcement in Colorado? Yeah, he was actually a, a sergeant for the Steamboat Springs uh, Police Department. And so okay. he, he was in law enforcement all his life, clear up until yeah. uh, he passed away in 2012. But he, he went through, uh, was a sergeant for Steamboat Springs, uh, went on. At one point, he, he was a sharpshooter. He was a trained sharpshooter. Wow. He had, unfortunately, uh, an elementary school in Steamboat of in the 80s was held hostage. I have the newspaper article. Jeez. I should have pulled it out. But it was held hostage And I want to say... He maybe, was? No, that it was an elementary school. There was a crazed guy. I, I don't remember the specific story. Guy breaks into the elementary school. And this was like 81, 82 time frame probably. I think I was probably six. And my dad led a team in one side. His uh, another group led a team in the the side doors, and literally they had a hostage situation. As the there's a a guy holding a a child hot, and again this is as I heard it from my dad many years later. And there's a I, I have the newspaper article. I should share it with you later. That that you know so they had two teams coming in the side to try and get rid of this this guy that's holding students hostage. And this is early '80s. And my dad had been a trained start sharpshooter in the military and then uh, had been a firearms instructor throughout with, with his uh, law enforcement career. And so as they're going in both both entrances, apparently, and, and again, I wasn't there, the, the guy hears one of the teams coming in one of the side hallways and he turns to, to you know, uh, bring his, his firearm up. And my dad shot him, took him down, uh, wow. certainly had to go through some 
some counseling and some things after that, but then continued on in law enforcement, was at one point the firearms lead firearms instructor for the state of Colorado, wow. um, was recruited by Department of Corrections, worked on through that, retired, uh, you know, worked at several different facilities, retired out of uh, the Arkansas Valley Correctional Facility here in uh, Southern Colorado. And then uh, shortly after he retired, uh, passed away, uh, went out on his third heart attack. So, oh my gosh. And so, wow. yeah, he, he had, he, he had really the story, right. That's the story this morning. You know, he, he did some amazing things in his law enforcement career. And then, yeah. you know, like I said, my parents had, had split. And so my dad was living a little ways away in Southern Colorado. My mom was a kindergarten teacher. And then, uh, hey, good morning, Janelle. I saw that pop up, so I didn't want to want to be rude. Just finished the thought. Uh, thank it, thank you so much, man. You've got so many awesome people watching this. I'm, that's really exciting to come in and, yeah. and listen to what I have to share, man. Um, so my mom was a kindergarten teacher. Her background in college was um, in computers. You know, for what they had for computers it wasn't nearly what they had now. But she she knew uh, the the archaic you know computer languages, Pascal, Fortran. Uh, C and so forth. So when they did split uh, and Colorado Springs being a more high tech area, that was why she had come here and worked for Digital Equipment Corporation. So she, you, you know, my two parents led uh, different, different lives for sure from and, and mostly my sister and I, I have one sister. Hey, good morning, Ron. Thank you for the compliment. Um, uh. my, my sister and I uh, were raised by her mom. The, the tough part was by the time I was probably I want to say third grade, uh, you know, my mom was working two jobs and, you know, my dad's got some cool history and some cool backgrounds and we really connected later in my teenage years. But during our young years, there was definitely some dissension. He wasn't the best dad. He was a really good grandpa, certainly as, as we aged and he and I connected in our, in uh, his later years. Um, yeah. But during that time, uh, you, and, and, and I did, I really connected with my dad on a different level, but during that time as a kid, it was, it was a tough gig, you know, cause he, it was, you know, they didn't have a lot of the things like they have now to connect people. And so we didn't right. see my dad often. Um, he was not a, a child support up paying upstanding citizen. So my mom was holding down two jobs. She was working, uh, you, you know, two different computer jobs and doing computer consulting. And so I was heavily raised by my, my mom for the latter part of my youth. And then my sister and I, by the time I was about third grade, I mean, we were home alone by you know, nine, 10 years old, we were raising ourselves, rocked and rolled on ramen and lucky charms. And, and <laughs> so there, you know, that was, it was a, it was a tough time through like elementary and middle school and that kind of stuff and wearing yeah. recycled clothes and not, not to get like the down on it, but because I know there's a lot of people that had it far worse. And there's a lot yeah. of people that had it far better, but it's one of those, when you look at, you know, comfortably like where we're at and we're sitting talking now, uh, talk about a different time, man. Right. Yeah. Hey, by the way, let's celebrate Janelle's birthday. She's such a sweetheart, and today is her birthday. Oh, yeah. She's she's yeah. awesome. I follow her on many platforms. I've never had the pleasure to meet her in person, but I like, follow her and just talk about a point of light and positivity. Yeah. She's awesome. You want to sing? No. I, <laughs> go ahead. Well, you, I, you have to go with me. Be like, happy, happy birthday, birthday to you. <laughs> Happy birthday, dear Janelle. Thanks for joining us. And next question. I would do the whole thing, man. I'm not afraid. I know. I know. I'm not in the mood to sing this morning. But happy birthday, Janelle. You happy rock. Happy birthday. 
Thank so, you for watching. Uh, so listen, man, and, and you know, you so you how old did you say you were when when your parents 12? When, when my they, parents when my parents split up, uh I think I was probably 7 or 8 when they eight. when they first split up. Okay. Kind of through the the you're asking me to remember a lot of things from a long yeah. time ago, man. Um, by the time we moved to Colorado Springs, I was probably eight, nine. Okay, you, you know something like that. And then, like I said, by the time I was nine, ten, my sister and I were heavily kind of raising ourselves. My mom was working, uh, and uh, you know, fortunately, my sister was a good influence. Uh, I, I mean, she's younger than I am, but we we're both good influences on each other. So. Uh, there wasn't a lot to do. And it was one of those that my mom's like, listen, you stay in the house, you do this, but yeah, you know, single parent working two jobs, doing her thing. And, uh, and then my, my dad, like I said, was heavily absent and he was working law enforcement and long hours and that kind of, and if we were to call him, he's an hour and a half South of us. And it's like, what what do you, what's going to, what are you going to do? So, right. So you, um, so yeah, I, I mean, you went to high school. I assume you graduated yeah. high school, and so that here's here's the mind blowing part as we go through. So I, I was went uh, m- middle school uh, was a, a tough gig. A lot of lot of people making fun of you and picking at you and so forth. And kind of I think probably some of the reasons that later in life. Uh, you, you know, there, there's a lot of different people that are like, hey, you shouldn't be worried about what other people think of you. And at that time, it's really hard not to be worried about what other people think of you. But you do develop yeah. a shell and a shield and a defense because, um, you know, like I said, um, wearing wearing hand-me-down clothes and recycled stuff and all that kind of stuff, you, you, you get a lot of stones. And if you don't have a shield, you get hit and it's, it's hurtful. And so yeah. I went through that, uh, went up to my junior year of high school. And uh, that's everyone says, Oh, hey, what'd you do? And what was your major in college? I dropped out my junior year of high school. The following week, took the GED test because I was ready to move on and work and be an entrepreneur. The following six months after that, decided to start college because I'm like, well, that was and and again, tough deal. Hey, Colin, my son's on here. He's up at college, probably driving back from from college. He had to collect all his stuff. He's headed home now with all this craziness. Yeah. Um, so he's five hours from us. Um, Is he driving right now? Uh, he probably not just yet. Knowing him, it's 915 here. He's probably just getting up and going. <laughs> he will be driving soon. I don't blame to, him. I don't yeah, blame him. Yeah, he had to check out of his, his college so, yesterday, which that's a, a tough gig for some of these freshmen that are like, I'm free. And they're like, oh, I'm headed home. Yeah. <laughs> So he said, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so you, you, um, you dropped out of high school. Yep. Junior year. Cause I thought I knew everything. Um, and like hey, I said, at I, that point, I did it too, dude. Yeah. 12th grade. And so, and, and that, that was the thing. I thought I knew everything. Uh, like I said, my dad wasn't there to say no. My mom was just like, well, I mean, whatever. Um, she said, good, you go to work and help pay the household bills and that kind of stuff. And I know he wouldn't be Joe. He's a good kid. <laughs> um, so, so literally within like a week or two weeks schedule, did the GED test passed with flying colors. You, you know, I, I still have that. Um, and, um, then ended up going to college for a few semesters of broadcasting. Cause I was like, at the time I was working through high school at a roller rink. 
And so you get this uh, twisted sense of what it is to be a, like I wanted, then I wanted to be a DJ. Cause I was like yeah. 16, 17, 18 years old, DJing in a roller rink for 14, 15, 16 year old girls at the time, like you're the stuff, right? right. And, and so you get this twisted sense. You're like, dude, I'm going to be a live DJ because this is real life. Like, and at the time Casey Kasem was hot, you know, still, still there and hot. And it was like, dude, I'm the next Casey Kasem. This is going to rock. I, I, okay. I'm going to school. I'm going to be a broadcasting major. And I, you know, quit- you know, I'm friends <laughs> with his daughter. Karen. Are you re- Yeah, I think you you've mentioned that. I think I think uh you interviewed her. Did you no, interview I her? No. Okay. Yeah. Her schedule's been crazy. You, I could reach out to her actually now. You you should. I I think I she, connected with her through you at one point cuz I remember you saying that. Maybe in just one of our conversations. She's she's amazing. I yeah. I I'll tell you a story off off when I picked her up at the airport in Vegas in my car, I was apologize. I'll just, t- I apologized to her cause I was, I was in a Ford fusion and she's like, why? And I go, I don't know. I feel like you're a celebrity. I should be picking you up in a Lambo or something, you know? And she's like, I won't say wh- exactly what she said, but she, she said, are you kidding me? Yeah. She's <laughs> like, my boyfriend drives the same exact car. This is an awesome car. And I'm like, she goes, I drive a Prius. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's awesome. See, you're like, hey, listen, I drive the same car as as uh, her boyfriend, so I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, yeah. So you were you're spinning spinning vinyl at a roller rink. I was. I grew up right next to a roller rink, dude. Like that's that's all we did. So I was doing that. I got involved in inline and ice hockey. And so this is kind of where some of my business background starts because I I worked at the same roller rink for almost 12 years from the time I was about 15 till I was my mid 20s. And yeah. hey, good morning, Matt. Thank you. I love you guys too, man. There's so many so many awesome people here. I like I'm I'm floored. There's just a collection of really awesome people here. Really um, I can't stop grinning, man. So I, I'm I'm working at this roller rink. I get involved in playing hockey. I'd never played before. I was about 15 years old. And so I started doing inline and then got involved in ice hockey. And so I'm like, okay, hey, I'm going to do the, the – and, you know, when you're young, you don't know what you want to do. I was like, dude, I'm going to be a live DJ. I'm going to own my own DJ company. I'm the next Casey Case. I'm going to rock this. And then I started playing hockey, and I'm like, dude, I'm going to play in the NHL. This is awesome. And I'm like, there's kids that had played for years far before for me. But – had had um, you know so I had these different paths so I started going to school for broadcasting and taking some psychology courses and then at one point once I was there I took Chinese as a language because I'm like okay listen quarter of the world's population speaks Chinese I could always back up as an interpreter there's probably a lot of money in that right so I like I was all over the board I was just a hot mess <laughs> couldn't make wow. a decision and so so I um end up after my uh, second year, about a year and a half into college, uh, dropping out of college too. So you can see the, the trend here. And uh, so, well, here's part of the reason. Here's the irony. It was because they wanted to force me through TV broadcast and production. And I'm oh. like, I am never, I'm not doing TV broadcast. Like those guys aren't, heck to the no, right? I'm going to be a rate. I'm radio famous. And it right. wasn't because I didn't look at like all this. It was because uh, Mandarin, Mandarin. Wow. Um, I don't really remember any of it. I only took Chinese for a semester. So I, I still have my workbooks, ironically, in the basement. But I, 
and I was not good at it, so I didn't stick with it. Wow. But so, so when I got into TV broadcast, and who knew years later I'd be so excited about podcasting and YouTube and stuff, I should have stayed in that because I was like, this is dumb. I'm never going to do And even when I, I met my wife, she's like, oh, man, you should have stayed in TV broadcast. Like, you would do good as a game show host, right? You <laughs> could pull that off. And, you know, car salesman, game show host. Sajak. <laughs> what's, yeah, what's that? You're the next Pat Sajak. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, next up we've got Mr. Ken Walls. Ken Walls is hailing from you, right? And so we, you know, I did those different things, and I was like, okay, so I drop out of college. I'm still working at the roller rink. I'm like, well, I can start my own DJ business, and I'm just trying to figure it all out in my early twenties. Yeah. Um, got, and I'm giving you the short version. Slow down and and ask questions anytime. But got ended up through the roller rink. Uh, got married. Ha, uh, it went about this fast in this order. Got married, bought a house, bought a dog, got a baby. That was my oldest son, Colin, that was in here. Uh, got, got, a, divorced. got a baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, got a, got a baby. Uh, bought into the roller rink. So I was a partner. I'll backtrack here for a minute because I'll share something else that I'll, I'll share with you. Uh, then all of a sudden got, got divorced, lost the house, lost the dog, got bought out of the roller rink. And what happened with the roller rink too the the crummy part was I was a I was a partner I was a junior partner and so it was one of those at one point I when we got divorced I got quit that's that's what I call it that's a term coined from my current uh, owner Joe Joe McCloskey that he's he and he comes later in life but I got quit from there and that's when they come in and they say well we're gonna have to fire you and you're like you can't fire me I quit so you got, got <laughs> hey, quit, yeah. right like you right. can't do that I'm a partner I'm out of here right and wow. so I end up getting now, why, uh why would they why why did they want to why did they want to part ways with you were you were you being bad <laughs> no no i see that's the thing as far as like the background of my story there's never anything that's like i, I, I was thinking about this as we're going to talk last night because you're like no it's your story and we're going to share and we're going right, and i'm right. like i'm like my story is like so when i when i look at it like there's some there's some cool points and like I think it's cool, but I'm I feel like I'm so mainstream. Like that's one of the things I connect with a lot of people, but it's no, I wasn't. You know, we I ended up, um, you know, the my now ex wife and I were were having uh, troubles and so forth. And I think at the core, and there's there's some other stuff I won't get into it on here because it's just it's it's dumb and it's uh, pointless allegations. I moved past that in my life, but it's like at the core. You know the other partner didn't. We, we I, I don't think they really wanted everything to go down in a in a divorce battle, and they're just like, hey, go find something else to do. Peace out, and uh, which makes sense from a business standpoint now. But at the time, it was like, okay, I think I was twenty five years old, twenty six years old, and I'm like, well, okay, now what? So I'm applying for jobs all over the place. Uh, it, speaking, I'm I'm going to backtrack here for a second because I just I get all wound up sharing this stuff. And I, I feel kind of weird just talking about myself all, all, all of the time here, but, um, well, that, that's what this is about. I, it's your I know, story, man. I, I know you're, it's you're just help somebody get unstuck today, so, man. So here, here's one of the things while well, we're talking about getting unstuck and, and th this will be a good point. Backtrack a minute back in 93, 94, when I was working at the roller rink, I became a USA hockey certified coach referee. Wow. And then I was also a certified roller hockey coach. Roller hockey was a bigger deal in the 90s, and it was blown up in California and so forth. And I remember at one point, and little little known fact about Mike Phillips, when we went in 
uh, I think it was 1994. It was me, the current roller rink owner, a few other managers from some different roller rinks. We took the existing Junior Olympic roller hockey guidelines and the USA Hockey Ice Hockey rule book, and we meshed them together. We were literally cutting and pasting, literal cutting and pasting, copying copies on a copy machine to produce one of the first editions of the USA Inline Hockey rule book. Wow. And so it, it was one of those that Joe Ingram says, DJs talk about themselves all day. I, I mean, hey, hey, <laughs> get ready for the ride. Um, so, so yeah, I think I was like 20 years old. And like, there's no credit. There's nothing to substantiate that. It's just one of those little tidbits that I remember doing that and developing that for other people. And it was like, okay, again, part of it was we wanted to bring more mainstream ice hockey style play to inline hockey because inline hockey was played at the time with a hard ball, a little J stick. It was just cheesy. And so nobody wanted to participate in it. And so we're like, how do we get this to be more of a mainstream sport? And that was when we transitioned to like 94, 95 to traditional hockey sticks, patting people up. Cause you, you were like soccer shin guards back in the early, yeah. you know, eighties and nineties to doing, doing, either quad roller hockey or, or inline hockey. Are, are so, these like, where are these, uh, you're talking about like wearing roller blades? Well, well, yeah. At, at one point, you know, eighties and eighties and early nineties, people were in quad roller skates and you had a little J-O plastic cheesy stick and more like soccer shin guards and a, and a helmet that looked like, I mean, like the old leather football helmets, right? Wow. It was just super, super cheesy up to that, uh, up to that point. And, it, it, you know, it was it was fashioned after like German hardball hockey and that kind of yeah. stuff. And and, it, you know, I, I stayed really involved in inline hockey, even through my 20s. I, I played hockey. Then I ended up playing 20 years. I coached inline both at a national and an international level. We played in Canada. We you know played all over the U.S. I had some really competitive teams through the um, through our my coaching of, of inline, I was really involved in, in USA hockey as well as a coach and referee. And so that's where I got my basis to really want to help and coach people and grow people. Hey, Jesus. Yeah. Hey, so JL Alvarez says, Hey, Jesus, he and I worked together for some time in, in the auto industry. And, uh, that, that just goes to show, I just don't talk a lot about myself. I don't think like, but I think it's good, Ken, that you, yeah. you know, it's bringing it to like, Hey, what, what's happening with someone else. So that was one of those, we just took action and we said, well, there's a need. We need to figure out a rule book. We need to do this. And we brought it to, I was coaching between five and 6,000 kids a year in wow. either ice or inline hockey from like 94 to 2003. I have kids now that are in their thirties that are on my Facebook that still are like, oh, hey coach, good to see you. you know, I mean, and so that's one of those things where you impact somebody like that, that that yeah. was where I really got that love for coaching and developing people. So fast that's forward. Awesome got out of the roller rink. And when you're talking about being stuck, I will never forget that day. I remember, so I was, uh, I was divorced. I was broke. I was, uh, sort of single. I was dating, you know, my wife and I now have been married for 15 years this year, 14 years this year, officially married for 14 years this year. And so we've been together for 15. And at that time, then I was unemployed and she stayed with me through it, man. Um, we, we were, this was like 2003, 2004 timeframe, got out of the rink and here's the sucky part. I was like, okay, so what am I going to do? I start, I go out and I start applying for jobs. And this is, I, I'm really serious for anybody who's stuck right now. The biggest thing that you can do 
is, and it, whether it's online, you know, I know we're not supposed to social distancing and all the stuff where we're at currently in the environment, but start doing something, connect with people, talk to people, uh, virtually apply for jobs online, look for what it is you're going to do, see how you can develop an extra skill in your, your current job. And the reason is because then I got out of this job at the roller rink and I'm like, all right, man. So I got 12 years of roller rink management experience. I got 12 years of DJing experience. That's got to be worth something, right? <laughs> right. No. Yeah. No. Nothing. <laughs> right. Nothing. I, I couldn't get hired at Walmart Right. This is a true story. I went and applied. I was like, I'll be an assistant manager at Walmart, right? Because I can manage people. I was, ma I mean, I, I was managing kids average age 16, 17 years old. And that's a tough gig. Yeah. Uh, because, you, you know, something goes wrong with, with that. And you're not just dealing with them. You're dealing with them and their parents. And their parents are going, I can't believe you. Did. And, and it's like, dude, they didn't work. Anyway, that's a different, different story. But I, I couldn't get hired anywhere because I, this was like, for probably six months, I was applying for job after job after job. I was applying at medical supply. I was like, I can talk to people. I could sell. And they're like, yeah, but you have no sales experience, kid. Go figure something else out. Get a sales job. Get some experience. And then we'll talk. And I'm like, dude, right. if you don't want me now, I'm out. Right. Like, I don't have I don't have time for that. Like, I need to make a living. I've got a child. My my son was, you know, three years old at the time. I, I was not going to do repeat what my dad had done. Like, I was paying child support. I was... My, my ex-wife, my son were living in a house. I was trying to make things work. I had my girlfriend who's now my wife that I like all this stuff going on. And like, I mean, for goodness sake that I like, I, I applied at Walmart as an assistant manager. I was like, okay, I'm just going to do anything, dude. I'll stock shelves. I'll do whatever. And I will never forget interviewing. They were building Walmarts in the early 2000s all over the place out here. And I remember one of the guys interviewing me and he said to me, no, like point blank, looked me in the eye and was like, you know, he says, I think you have really good background. You have really good consistency. You're at the same job a long time. I just don't think you would stay with a corporation like Walmart. You're too entrepreneurial. Wow. And I'm like, dude, I need a job. Like, right. I'm not worried about being entrepreneurial. I need a paycheck. Right. right. And. So I went through all these other places and it came down to it where kind of where I'm at now is 20 fast forward. Then I, I'd made it to where I was 27 years old. Savings had run out. Apartment had been paid for for a year, but I was I was like out and I had an opportunity to either become a partner in a 7-Eleven franchise or to uh, go into auto sales. And I will never forget. I got to the final interview, had the 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 opportunity to go into the the 7-Eleven franchise, and I went in to interview with this person, and it was the worst experience. No, no couth, no tact, just like unbelievable. And I'm like, uh, you, you have to be kidding. Like this, this is what there is. I was like, I'm, I'm out. Like I, I'm, I'm not interested in that. And not that, not that that's uh, for anyone or to, but like you look at if this is where they're heading, this was like the regional manager I was interviewing with and what a terrible impression. And I'm like, dude, I can't, I can't do this. And so I chose auto sales. Cause that was a, at the time. It's like, Hey, upgrade. Right. Cause everyone wants to be a used car salesman. <laughs> so you're like, um, I hear they'll take just about anyone over here. I'm just kidding. Cause that's not true. I mean, the, the auto sale, I know some, I know some amazing people in the auto Absolutely. industry. 
So, um, so that's, and how old were you at this point? 27, 27, you get in, in, in auto sales. Was it a new car dealership or used or both? Well, at the time, so, so I'm still at the same car dealership. I've been there, uh, 17 years now. Wow. So, cause they're phenomenal people. Um, so I'm with McCloskey motors in Colorado Springs. I've been through every transition, every different position, but so I, I do you know, Craig Lockard? You have I to do. know Craig Lockard. I know Craig, so yeah. I got into the auto industry through Automax and Craig Lockard. Wow. So it was one of those, I answered the ad and literally I had 90 applications floating out there. And he, he, like I said, when I was looking at, I'm interviewing with someone on his team and I'm interviewing with this other person with this 7-Eleven franchise. And I'm like, dude, this person left such a much better impression. Yeah. And, and I'm like, okay, well I can do the car sales thing. And uh, I, I'd be good at that. And then my, my big thing was it got me out of management. I didn't want to, uh, I, I was like, I didn't want to have to depend on other people. I was like, I'd never been in commission sales, but I was like, dude, I can do this myself, right? Yeah. If I win, I win. And it's because of me. And if I lose, I lose. And it's because of me. There's no one to blame, right? Yeah. So yeah. so that was kind of the mentality. And, and I don't know if I developed that some through my youth and watching other people. And it, like, depending on between, you, you know, everybody looks at their youth and like, uh, between my parents and youth sports and all this other stuff. And like I said, being picked on in middle school and all this. And it was like, look, I can, for for the first time, I can just depend on myself and have somebody um, like look at me for who I am. And if I, I win, it's it. And then people started coming in and like the, you know, like any new car salesman, I was selling out of sheer enthusiasm. I was excited. I was rocking and rolling. And, and uh, like for the first two or three months, because I had so much excitement to be there so yeah. did all the customers. Yeah. And then just like anything in our lives, like all of a sudden people started getting crappy because of the persona of car salespeople. And it's just like it is right now while we're all trapped in our lives, right? You have this social weight that starts to weigh on you because of other people's accept, uh, uh, other people's aggravation, other people's expectations. And, yep. and so it was like, oh crap, this car sales kid kind of sucks, right? People hate me. And, yeah. and so- um, just, you know, that was kind of a self-development time. One of the, one of the points that was like all through 2004, 2005, got promoted into management, found my way through that, got promoted into sales management. Like I said, I'm with the same place because Joe and Ann McCloskey, they own McCloskey Motors here. You asked a question. I apologize. I forgot to answer it. So at the time they were a new car franchise. We had Suzuki and a Suzu and they got started as used car dealers here, mm -hmm. but then got Suzuki and got a Suzu because that gave them the ability to get more finance sources. Like I've heard uh, Joe's, Joe's whole story also. And, yeah. and so that was his big thing was he was like, yeah, man, it, let us get more finance sources. Well, Fast forward, I was with them for several years. And then in 2009, Suzu pulls out of the North American market. And he's like, oh, man, that sucks. So we poured everything into Suzuki. And we're still rocking and rolling there. And then 2012, if you're not familiar with what happened to that, you know, actually 2008, we had the economic downturn. 2009, Suzu pulls out. 2012, Suzuki pulls out. And uh, I remember sitting in Joe's office because he's become a really dear friend and good mentor over the years. And he's like, man, he goes, Mike, if I'm ever going to get another franchise, just shoot me. He goes, we're going back to used cars where if I win, it's because of me. And if I lose, it's because of me. And I'm like, I feel that way. Like, that's <laughs> why, like 
I'm in, you know, and, and wow. so not, not that it's, it's my, my call or my position at all, but I, like I've connected with him on so many levels over that. And so it's, that's one of the things that's really cool with where I've, I've stayed at. So yeah, through 2005, he trained me in management, uh, wow. 2000, 2006 was a store manager, 2007, 2008 timeframe, something like that. I went and operated a satellite store for Joe and Ann. Uh, so I was the, the store so manager. You- you store like GSM or G mm-hmm. GM. Well, I, the, so I, our store titles are a little different than the traditional deal. Yeah. I was, I was a GM GSM from like 2011 to 2016. Um, okay. At the time below our GSM uh, in the, in the hierarchy of things was a sales a store manager. And below that was a sales manager. We call them sales drivers. We don't call our sales managers, sales managers. We call them sales drivers because their job is to drive sales. Right. So we literally retitled them. And it, some people are like, well, that's really cheesy. And it's like, well, that's how we roll. So right. good news. You don't get a vote. So. <laughs> right. right. So, so man, and, and, and you, so you've been in the same store now for, you said 17 years. Uh, just about seven. I'm in my 17th year right now. Yes. Wow. Same, same place. And through that, um, you know, like I said, we experienced the economic downturn of 2008. Yeah. We experienced cash for clunkers. We've dealt with good politics and bad politics. And that's one of the, you know, I've been accused even right now because there are some similarities to to that time frame to now with the virus you know people weren't locked in their houses at that time maybe they were mentally locked in their houses but um you know that that's one of the things is that i i've been accused right now this day and age i know i'm skipping around a little bit they're saying oh well mike you don't think this virus is real or you think it's fake or there's this big conspiracy well there could be you know there's a dozen different conspiracy theories i've heard but regardless of the realness of it, the, the fakeness of it, the conspiracies of it or not, where we're at right now, it's like, hey, I know in business, we have all, not me, but we have all been through similar situations before, and yeah. we've always made it through it, regardless of who the president is, regardless yeah. of who the, the, you know, your what your political views are and so forth. If people stay the course, they take action, they take the right action. They don't just lock up and seize up. And so that's, you know, that's some of the stuff we experienced in 2008. Like we, we became not just good car people, but we focused on becoming really good business people at the time, like with yeah. our cash flow, with all the, I mean, and this is all stuff I've learned once I got it, when I got into the auto industry from Joe and Ann, like he's a really good business operator. One of the one of the little known secrets he has right now, and he I don't know if he's I don't think he's watching this. He doesn't do a lot on Facebook, but one of the little known secrets, Joe's actually the vice president right now of the National Independent Auto Dealers Association of NIADA. And wow. he doesn't go and 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 tout that and like, hey, I'm the, the VP of this, but he he is. You know, he provides really good leadership, in my opinion, to that organization. So um yeah, so so I went through and I I was a store manager. I was a finance manager. I was a finance director for for our three stores. We then closed the satellite location, came back to our original two locations. So like right now, uh, the uh, right now we have two showrooms. We have two uh, two service centers, parts department. We have a detail center. We run an offsite BDC. That's where I'm based out of now. So I 
fat, kind of fast forward about 2012 timeframe, I really developed a knack for the, the digital aspects of, of the auto industry. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things I was our GSM and our digital marketing director at the same time, our BDC director from 2011 to 2016 timeframe. So then I was a GSM. Uh, at one point I was the, the title was GM GSM because our, our dealer principals still are our GM. And then just in the last year, his his sons moved into that GM role officially, you know, as far as titling. We're we're not really huge on titles. Um, yeah. it's more about like, hey, what are what are you doing for the organization? So right now I I physically house out of our our BDC and then I have my home office here. So like right now I'm able to work from home and and I yeah. have on on the side in 2009, I started my first podcast because I have a passion for that. Yeah. So that kind of paralleled the auto industry and, and the, the title of that podcast was Reignition. The interesting thing that I have few regrets in my life. I don't have a whole lot. You know, people are like, oh, you shouldn't regret this or you should. Uh, yeah. One of the things I do regret was stopping my podcast in 2011. Because I was doing it before anybody. 2000 what? 2011? Yeah, was, that was my first one. Wow. So here, here's where it boiled down to. I started a podcast because no one knew what it was. It was on a platform called Blog Talk Radio. Are you familiar yep. with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I started podcasting and marketing 2009, 2010, 2011. At one point, by the time in 2011, I had somewhere between 3,500 and 4,000 downloads a week on Blog Talk Radio. And so I would end up with you know, 20, 30 viewers. It wasn't a ton, but the downloads the target market was, it was called reignition and it was how to train and motivate yourself as a salesperson targeted really primarily uh, at the auto industry. But the goal was like motivation. I'd gone to a Tony Robbins seminar. So then at that point in my life, I was the next Tony Robbins. Yeah. Right. I wasn't Casey Kasem anymore as Tony Robbins. Right. So right. Wow. So, so you, and that you stopped your podcast in 2011. So, here, so when did the you thing, start it? In 2009. Oh, so okay. I started in 2009. I did it till 2011. There's probably, so the interesting tidbit of that area of my life from 2009, 2010, 2011, I think I cut 120 podcast episodes of Reignition. Now, There's was, about, this, was this like interview style or just, just you? Nope. It was just me. It was behind the microphone, but it was live radio style. So I did it every Wednesday night, 8.30 PM mountain. There was a dial in option. Every every once in a while I'd get someone to dial in. So it was, it was wide open. Um, But that was like before it was cool. The unfortunate part of that. uh, So I have, I still have, I think about 52 episodes online, but part of the other ones I'd hooked up with a guy to help do my production and stuff. Yeah. And uh, fast forward, turned out he wasn't a good guy. He embezzled uh, half a million dollars from a company. Um, And so I did not want to be associated with him. So I had to scrap literally half the episodes because he'd participated with me. But I kept, you know, I still have them. I have them archived. I just don't want to, you know, I don't want to put that juju out to the universe. So the ones that was just me or had call-ins are still online. They're they're in my YouTube channel now. They're on my podcast. It's on iTunes and Google Play and so forth. That's titled Reignition because it was all about getting reignited and fired up. So right. the reason I stopped in 2011 was because at that point, I had met with our owner, Joe McCloskey, and he says, look, he says, I need you to be our GSM. You're going to be running all the facilities. And he says, it's really hard to serve two masters. And he says, 
I hate to make it. And it wasn't like he was bar- narrowing it down like, hey, you have to make a choice. Right. But at the time, I was trying to figure out how am I going to manage my time for this? And it was like I had to focus heavily on am I going to focus on really winning at car sales? That's going to be my primary focus. Or am I going to be a, a famous podcaster? And at the time, though, and I hadn't read like Gary Vee's book Crush It at the time or anything. At the time, uh, I was like, well, there's nothing really happening over here. I think I was I was making $50 a month in my podcast. You know, I had a couple little sponsorships here and there or, or people that would, would donate. And it was like, I was like, okay, well, this GSM gig, like that was the good gig at the time. I had my third child on the way because my... My oldest son was born in 2000. My middle son was born in 2006. My daughter was 2012. So I have three kids and a beautiful wife at this point. And so I'm like, well, that offered stability. I knew where I was at. I know what kind of person Joe is. So I did, I did, I tabled the podcast for uh, like five years. And that, that is one thing that I would, had I not done that, you know, my friend Brandon, who's watching here, he says, man, you would have been the godfather of the podcast. You're not kidding. Like I, I, I had no idea no idea what I had at the time because literally I was having, and I'd like to think it was mostly car salespeople, probably 3,000 downloads a week and yeah, on average. And, and podcasts weren't really that popular no. back at mm. all. It, it, the, the only reason was because I was out there sharing it and nobody else was doing it. You right. know what I mean? So they're like, hey, what's this guy doing? Like, I, I think at the time there was uh, there there was a Nickelodeon uh, show. It was like iCarly. It was like a little girl doing a podcast. And so, but it wasn't a big thing and certainly not dial-in shows. So I, I tabled it and then I was the GSM. I was good GSM and we rocked and rolled and we were continuing to grow the business from that point from 2012 to about mid-2016. And then at that point, the owner's son had gone through kind of the same track that I'd gone through and finance director and so forth. And he and I were in uh, similar spots within the store. I was doing more of the digital marketing. So he took over the, the full-time roles, of the GSM. I was a digital marketing executive in our stores. And at that point, then I think through that learning experience, I had learned to better manage my time between the dealership, my family, and then something that would help light my soul on fire too. And so that was when I was like, man, there's something missing. And that was when I started up my second podcast titled The Front, which was about leading from the front, being in front, staying out front. And it was more leadership focused. And I really started diving deep and figuring out the psychology of leadership, what had served me well from, you know, hindsight's 2020. So then what had served me well from the time I was coaching youth hockey to what had served me well to running uh, a, a roller rink to what had served me well as an individual being a, a car salesperson, and how did those pieces of psychology tie together to make somebody that could be a successful leader or manager? And so I started sharing that, and then uh, that was like 2017. Did that for about a year. Uh, started doing my live leadership lessons interviews, which was an interview style. Interviewed yeah. 32 different people. Um, over the course of one year, uh, include you, you know some some people that you and I know have in, in common, and just wanted to get their perspective specifically. And I started with the canned questions. Ironically, as I was getting ready for this, I still have my question sheet, wow. my starter, my starter sheets right here next to my desk. So that that was just like in case I couldn't think of something to ask, I better have yeah. something to ask. Yeah, yeah. And, so to get different people from different verticals of business to share their perspective on leadership and one, you know, same deal when I was doing YouTube really consistently, 
was getting, you know, four or five, sometimes 10,000 views on a podcast video. And so, so that's become, you know, my, my YouTube channel in the last two to three years has become a little bit of an opportunity to make money through some sponsorships or some kind of outside consulting. I love what I do in the dealership. I love my, my family and the way that we're set up. And so there's, you know, all of that's kind of come together uh, now. And, and that's one of the things I'm trying to get across to even like my son, who's 19, he'll be 20 this year, who was on the, the show here a little bit ago. Yeah. And he's saying like, he, he wants to be an entrepreneur and go right now. And I'm like, son, what you, what you don't understand, like everybody thinks you just go like this, right? And you take right. off and that's where you head. And it's like, there, there is there is absolutely for anybody who's watching, you're saying, hey, whatever you can connect with, there is no replacement for real life experience. It doesn't matter what the experience is. That's one of the things that I've learned is it's like, you are always gonna get an outcome. It might not be the outcome you desired, but you're always gonna get an outcome. And you got to learn from it and you got to keep yeah. moving, moving forward. And it's like, so as you're going up, it's like, oh, crap, that was a sh crummy outcome. Right. And yeah. so you, you're back down here. Well, learn from that and keep moving. So that's, you, you know, I mean, I think that's one of the pieces of resilience I've really gained out of the car business. And there's a lot of, of people because I do have I have a site to do leadership consulting and I connect with people a few times a year. I, I've spoken both in and out of the auto industry on leadership and people people have often asked me they say well mike why are, i don't get why you're still inside the the auto business and it's like because i'm an extrovert and i like to see the outcome if i'm coaching a one salesperson if i'm coaching one bdr my my average age in my bdc is 24 years old right now yeah. of those 24 <laughs> years Here's the thing though, man, a lot of people watch this show that are not in the car business. They have no sure. idea what BDC is. And I've had other BDC people on obviously, but sure. um, you know, it's the business development center where, mm -hmm. where needs come in basically, we right? Take, we take in stuff. So here, here's the thing that blows some people's mind. My average age in my BDC center, I have nine women that work for me, all women. Wow. Uh, Average age is 24. I have a few that are a little bit older, but that's when you lump them all together, um, that's that's where they're at. And the average woman that has worked for me has worked for me for four and a half years. Wow. That's awesome. Because, and for me, I like to see their growth. I have yeah. one girl that's that's leaving. She's near and dear to me. She's taken herself and her kids to Virginia. And I'm, I'm mad at her for it because <laughs> yeah. I care about her. But at the yeah. same time, how can you like I have seen her grow so much in the three and a half, four years she's been with me that it's like, how can you do anything but wish somebody the best of luck? And you want to see him grow. And, it, you know, for me, my the leadership style is like one of the things that you have to gauge is relationship. Yeah. Right. How right. many of those people that left you because there's two ways people can leave. They can leave because they've outgrown you and that's okay. Yep. I realize yep. that now they can leave because they've outgrown you and you should wish them luck. And then you should have that ongoing relationship so that they're coming back and checking in with you and telling you about their wins and right. sharing their wins and celebrating it with you. The other way they can leave is they can fire you as a, as a manager or as a boss. And I realized that a long time ago because it's like, well, if they quit, it means they fired you. They're missing a piece that you're not providing to them. So you have to be introspective and, and look at what could I do to improve and make myself more valuable to that individual. Well, it, 
you know, you said something interesting about your son and, and, you know, my, my two cents on that for whatever it's worth. Um, you know, I, I, um, I worked at the Honda factory making $50,000 a year when I was or 45, when I was 18, 19 mm -hmm. and 20 ish. Um, so almost three years there. And, and, you know, at the time, I mean, I thought I was, you know, freaking P Diddy, man. I, I mean, I, I like at that age, 30 years ago, making that kind of money, that's like 110,000 a year now. Right. So, so oh, I was like, I thought I was. and, and, you know, but I hated it. And, and eventually it didn't take long. I became an independent contractor for a company in sales and, and then started my own businesses by the age of 24 ish. And, sure. and, you know, look what you said. Um, and I've not, I mean, I I've had a couple of momentary lapses of reason where I went to work for somebody else for a minute. Um, but it never worked out because I think that you either have the entrepreneurial burn, like, and when I say burn, I can't, I'm not employable. I, I cannot work for somebody else. I just can't, I'm not employable. And, and if you find yourself in that position, Hey, Carrie Kasem's watching. She just liked the video. So, um, yeah, I, I tagged her. I, I was going to be your dad in the nineties. <laughs> Mike, Mike, Carrie, Mike was talking about, he, he was going to be the next Casey Kasem. Um, back in the nineties, he was a DJ. So, um, but you know, I, I mean, for me again, the, the entrepreneurial thing is this, mm -hmm. like you're, you gotta be willing to take it in the face, man, hard. You're going to get punched in the face. You're going to make decisions. You're going to make stupid mistakes and you're going to fail bad. And you just have to like be willing to say, Hey, I screwed up. I, I made a bad decision. I made a mistake. I did this. I won't do that again. And right. reboot. Sometimes well, you, you just got to reboot. Still, you're still going to get an outcome. You're still right. going to get the result. Like, like we said a minute. And and I do. I, I my, my son has such an entrepreneurial spirit. He really does. The, the, I, he had, by the time, the oldest one, by the time he was out of uh, high school, had three three different businesses. He's doing t-shirts. He's doing some different stuff. So like he, he goes after it. So my middle son, my 13 year old, he wants to, th there's all kinds of things he wants to do. He's in gymnastics. He's almost six foot tall and he's wow. a competitive gymnast at the Olympic training center, which right now wow. sucks because they're closed. So he can't yeah, train. Right. Yeah. And he, you, you know, he has a sign on his door. It's so funny how our kids, uh, yeah. how our kids, they, they learn what they live. They develop yeah. what's around. My son has a sign on his door, literally 13 years old, that says, be careful, I'm going to be rich. I'm like, <laughs> I love yes. that. You know, and, and so, and he, his thing too, he's like, I don't know, I'm going to be a developer. I'm going to, he, he started a YouTube channel when he was eight. He's got 3,500 kids that follow him. Wow. That's awesome. I, I'm not there yet on my new channel. It's ridiculous. Jeez. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. So, man, we—I can't even believe we're at fifty-six minutes already. So yeah, let, let me let me let me ask you. Um, you know, in your opinion, what do you think the um, you know people get stuck as we were talking about early on? Yeah. People get stuck in life. 
Um, or they they show up to their job and they they say, I hate this place, I hate this job, I want to I want to do something else, or they can't pay their bills. That like their cars are getting repoed and electrics being shut off. Like, what do you think keeps people stuck in life? Uh, they're what do I think keeps people stuck? I think uh, for one, it's their psychology of what they believe they are certain in. Mm. Like if they say, hey, look, I have this. Yeah. And if they have a job and they don't like the job, but they know the job, people will continue doing the job. If that makes sense. Hey, it doesn't pay me enough, but I know what it is. And if you, you know, I'm sure you're familiar, Ken, like with the the six basic human needs, you know, certainty, uncertainty. I don't remember all of them off the top of my head, but they all upset one another. Certainty is like one of the most basic human needs. Yeah. That's one of the that's one of the things that's so difficult right now in the social environment is people are living in uncertainty. Right. You don't know if you can go to the store and buy toilet paper. And so it's scary. Yeah. <laughs> as stupid, like as as dumb as that may seem. And so so the thing is, it's like, okay. So people get certain, and if you continue to live in certainty for too long, this is my belief, then you become complacent. And then yep. by being complacent, you continue to live in that certainty. It's it, In psychology, they call it a crazy eight, right? You get, oh, well, I'm living in certainty, so everything's fine. Oh, I'm a little bit complacent, but everything will work out. Man, I hate this job, but hey, I'm, I know how to do the job, and da, 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 and we go here. At some point, you have to break the middle of that crazy eight. You have to do something else. It takes someone forcefully changing something. I mean, for me, if you want to get out of that environment, yeah, And this is just my opinion. If you want to get out of whatever environment you're in, one of the best things that you, I mean, one, we have a ton of information, but we don't even know if it's good information or not. Like you can Google anything, but how relevant is it? How accurate is it? Right. Um, right. I think like what you're doing right now, sharing like a real human's view yep. is what is everything that I'm sharing factually and a hundred percent correct. Well, it is to me, it is on based on my experience and maybe somebody will learn from that. One right. of the best things you can do to get unstuck is find a mentor, get someone that has been through that or a similar time and ask them what they did to get out of it. The hard part is then when they tell you, actually taking action to do something different. As simple as, as that, that means, because there's lots of people that will offer lots of advice both solicited and unsolicited advice. I always tell people like I'm a master of unsolicited advice. Like, like for example, the, <laughs> the young the young lady that's you know she's moving out of state, and I'm like, listen, let me tell you why that's a problem. And she's like, I I didn't really ask you. I understand, but I'm really good at this. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. So right. so so you go you go through that, and and like everybody has pieces of advice, but if you can find someone that has traveled that path. And I know you've heard it before, and it maybe even seems cliched at this point, like success leaves clues. Well, failure leaves clues too. So if somebody's failed at something and they're like, like you said earlier, like, hey, I'm not going to do that again. I would right. prefer to have someone that has experienced it and say, here's why. Like, you don't need to experience that failure and that pain and that being stuck Here's why, because I've been there. And if you value me and respect me and my opinion, I, I mean, to me, I think that's one of the most valuable things that you can have is 
an, another person's input, but you really have to be able not just to hear what they say, but to really listen to what they have to say. Yep. So like, as you're saying, how does somebody, somebody get unstuck, you know, back at the, I don't know, or certainly early on in, in this uh, stream, I had said, you know, you, you have to take action too. So many people get locked up because they feel like they know what they do and then they don't do anything. You know, that yep. I, I heard someone say that, and I don't know what the breakdown is. Like you can do, who was I listening to? It might've been uh, one of Grant Cardone's books where he says, look, you can either, you know, uh, you can do something, you can take action, you can do nothing, or you can retreat. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the three, like, three level, three levels of action. He talks about that in the 10 yeah. weeks. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I was just reading that recently that that's another thing I think you can do read in my opinion, read books or listen to audiobooks. If you want to get unstuck, one thing that's worked for me, pick up the Bible and read it. There's lessons in there. Yeah. Right. That yep. pick up a, a good book and read it. The reason I think books or audiobooks, in my opinion, <clears throat> are someplace that's good to start, that is better than just Googling crap on the internet. Someone invested a lot of time in putting that information down on paper. Like there's a yep. lot of value in investing that time and energy to put it out in a book form rather than a five minute, oh, I'm going to throw this up on a blog post because. And I'm right. not saying blog posts are invaluable. Don't don't mistake right. what I'm saying. But right. the, the time, effort, and energy that goes into writing a book, well, you know, I, I'm yep. writing my first book right now and I'm, I keep debating with myself. I'm like, should I put this in? Should I not put this in? Do I need to write a book because it's just the next step? Or is it because I really want to and I have something to share? <laughs> right? right. And right. you go through all this. But if somebody has taken that time and they've put it in that format, and that means generally someone else has looked over it, an editor, and has said, this is valuable and it would benefit somebody. For yeah. some, whether, whether it benefits someone like in the self-help section that they can execute on it, if it's fiction or nonfiction, even, hey, it would benefit someone. Why? Because they can escape from this world by reading this right. book, right? Right. That, that's another or they can learn. they can learn through the, the, the errors that you made. Absolutely. They, like, well, and... Uh, in both in in so many different ways when you're saying they can learn through the errors you made like it, that's if you have a mentor that you trust and they're telling you hey this this wins this loses they yep. can learn through that process they can do that through the 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 book writing the reading process plus one of the v valuable things that i find about reading books is you don't just have that person's interpretation but you have your own process of thinking and interpretation and saying yep. Wow, that's that's what this person went through. Do I agree with that? Yes. Do I agree with that? No. You're you're able to weigh that, and it forces genuine thought. And and that's another way. If you're willing to first pick that up and start reading it, that creates action. So so, dude, we're already at the end of we're, one we're hour. Wow, an hour and three minutes. That's crazy. That went fast. So so. Uh, First, I want to thank you for coming on yeah, and absolutely. sharing your story and your wisdom. What's what's next for you, man? You're writing a book. You got got some some cool stuff coming, right? Uh, I do. I do. I've uh, you know I took a little bit of a hiatus from the YouTube channel and the podcast. I have two podcasts uh, that I have in kind of in the hopper. I you know a year ago, not to get way off on tangent, two years ago now. I think when you and I first connected, we connected on the the Michelle thing and we started, you were making a yeah. website and I was doing YouTube stuff. And then 
uh, branching off of that, I started a show called Morning Verses with Mike. That was a five-minute morning podcast where I was sharing Bible verses and sharing my take on it and so forth. And um, so I've been considering relaunching that um, because I think that's something that would be really valuable to people right now. Because uh, yeah. I, re I read the Bible anyway. I took a hiatus because uh, some just kind of weird things happened behind that show. Um, and so so I, I put that on pause. I have another potential podcast. Oh, leave it to Joe Ingram. <laughs> I, have another, <laughs> I have another potential podcast uh, that called Launch that I want to do that's a motivational series. Um, and I've got kind of those those in the wings. The book is actually uh, the, the the title of the book, at least at the moment, is Elite. And I'm about halfway done. I, I had originally intended to be done with the book by uh, around March 15th. I had three or four different speaking opportunities that were all around this time of year doing uh, yeah. participating with like Rockstar with Matt Koenig. Yeah. Um, you, you know, Joe Ingram, Matt and I have kind of a an offline uh, mastermind group. We talk once or twice a month. And so the the book title is Elite, which is Empower, Lead, Inspire, Transform, and Execute. Um, so wow. it's an ac acronym for that. And it, the goal is for it to be about 110 pages, um, probably about halfway through it right now. Original date was March 15th. It's probably going to be uh, May 1st timeframe yeah. is, is what I'm looking at. Just uh, I, I've restarted it twice since December because I didn't wow. like the direction. So I still, that those could lead into other books, but the goal, the reason I want to be a little over, you know, right about that hundred page mark is that's something I think people that are either emergent leaders or that are in leadership roles or management roles can right. read in a relatively quick time and digest it. You know, lots of times we get into these lengthy books and you end up with, it's like, man, what was at the very beginning? So thank you, Jill. That's, that's I appreciate wife. that. My Thank wife. you. That's awesome. So, so, so that's so on the horizon. And where's where's um, where is the best place? Where are you most active on social media? The best place for people to follow you? Yeah, right now, I am. I'm not real active on social media. I've been at re real active in real life. I volunteer for the Better Business Bureau and the Colorado Institute for Social Impact in in real life. Um, Social media, you can connect with me here on Facebook, certainly. Um, I post, you know, once or twice a day, not not heavy, heavy. Um, if you're wa wanting some of my free training and leadership material, my YouTube channel is just youtube.com forward slash Mike Phillips. Um, I captured that a long time ago, fortunately, because Mike Phillips is a relatively popular name. But if you go there, I've got uh, right now on my channel, I think I have uh, like I said, the original 50s or so episodes of Reignition, they could listen to that podcast. I've got 300, 310 other uh, videos on sales training, primarily on leadership and motivation, but all that's free content. Average average is five to 10 minutes for an episode. And then, you know, that that's all on podcast too. So that that YouTube channel or or my Facebook is really where I'm the most active. But I'm on every social media platform. If you look for lead the team, I've captured that on most most platforms. Lead the team or Mike Phillips. You are, look at that. I matched your chair color with the hey. orange. Hey. <laughs> you are a rock star, bro. I really um I really appreciate you taking the time to come on today. Yeah. Sure. 
story, your hope, your strength and wisdom. I appreciate you, bro. Thank you, Kit. I, I, I am I, I like I was elated. I was really excited when you invited me to be on the show. We were talking. You said, "Hey, I haven't been on the show." I was like, "Yes, man." I, that's one of those one of those moments where it's it's one of those stair steps. That's like I made it. Ken Walls just invited me. You could ask my wife. Seriously, I I was so excited to come on and talk with you and talk with your audience and share with people because I think, like I said, especially right now, um, the just to hear other people's stories and hear how they. Well, pun intended, have broken through their own walls. Yeah. I think it's such a much needed, uh, like, connective device right now. You know, I think it's just awesome what you're doing, man. Thanks, dude. I appreciate that. I love this. I, I love, I love it. I, I've, I've gotten so many messages. So and so's interview helped me, and you know, I mean, just it, it's been incredible. So, I appreciate the um, feedback. I appreciate. Yeah. Um, Appreciate you taking the time, bro. Out in California. Yeah. New Colorado Springs. <laughs> All right, man. All right, man. Hey, you guys have a great day. Thank you for everyone who's been on here. Share yes. this out. Thank you so much. And, and make sure you go follow Mike Phillips, not just on YouTube, but everywhere else too. Look him up. Lead the team. Look him up. Mike, thank you. Hang with me here for a second. We'll see you guys later. Thanks, Ken.